Hi, welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We're very glad you're joining us today and we hope this message inspires you, builds your faith and encourages you in the things of God. Enjoy the message. It's nice to be here. The place looks fantastic too. I guess I picked a good day to be at home preparing to speak. People... People did all the decorations without me. Probably messed it up anyway, that's okay. Hey, I'm going to pray, folks. Will you pray with me? Will you lift your hands in faith as we pray? Lord Jesus, Lord, I just thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the truth of your, your victory at Calvary, Lord, and the life you have come to give us, Jesus. And Lord, help us not to make any mistake about that fact. You are here to minister life. Your spirit comes to give us freedom. Lord, where your spirit is, there's freedom. And so, Lord, I pray and I thank you, Lord, that that, that reality that you are a liberator, you're here to bring an abundance, um, Lord, abundant life to us, God. And so I just pray, Lord, that we would open our hearts now to receive your words, God. Your word has the ability to do, Lord, what psychology can't do as good as it is, modern medicine, all, all sorts of things that we run to and turn to. It can't free us in the way that your presence can and the way that your word can. And so I just pray that you would open our hearts, God, to receive from you. I pray that you would use me today, God. I need you. Jesus, I need you. Please speak through me to your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Okay, fantastic. Folks, it's nice to see you. Um, I've been in two minds about what I'm going to call or title the message I was going for, rising out of unbelief, amen, with with a sort of brackets, why are we sitting here until we die, question mark, okay, so if you're familiar with the passage in 2 Kings chapter 7, you'll already know what I'm talking about, but I think I'm going to call the message tonight, surprised by grace, I think I'm going to go for that. Surprised by grace. So will you turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 7? And I'm going to read uh, uh, an amazing story, actually. Um, uh, It's an an amazing story about four lepers. uh, And uh, maybe you know it, maybe you're familiar with it. But I'm going to read through it. um, And then I'm going to walk through it and pick out some verses and share some thoughts with you tonight. Does that sound okay? Yes. Amen. Okay, let's do it. Okay. 2 Kings 7, Elisha promises food, okay? But Elisha, oh, let me give you some context, actually, excuse me. So um, at this particular time uh, in the kingdom of Israel's history, King Ahab had died, okay? And he'd had a son um, who had died, and then his younger brother, Jehoram, had taken the throne in Israel, okay? So it's worth understanding that. Jehoram was the king at the time, and Jehoram wasn't a great king in that he didn't fully turn away from the sins of Jeroboam. Uh, We know Jeroboam and his sins, and how he set up the two calves, and instituted false worship in Israel. So we know what Jeroboam did. Well, the Bible says that Jehoram didn't fully turn away from that stuff. 
but he did tear down the um, sort of high places where Baal was worshipped. So he was better than Ahab and better than Jezebel, but that's not saying much, amen? Not saying much. He was a, a, a mild improvement, okay? And he got into conflict with Ben-Hadad, who was the king of Syria. Can I just say, Loki, I'm really proud of the fact that I've remembered all these names. <laughs> Ben-Hadad was the king of Syria, and they'd had several um, sort of encounters. And you can actually read in 2 Kings 6 that amazing story of how um, uh, 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 the prophet and his servant Gehazi were able to stand. And, and, and uh, Gehazi had that amazing moment where God opened his eyes to show him uh, while he was looking at the Syrian, Syrian armies and hordes. God was able to show him that actually all of God's, all, all the heavenly hosts were surrounding Gehazi and surrounding the prophet uh, Elisha. And, 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 and Gehazi got that amazing victory in his own spirit that there was more with him than against him. Amen. And uh, I pray that we all get that revelation at some stage that we can look to the hills from where our help comes and see that there's more with us than with them. There's more flanking us. There's more grace and favor and a deeper reality of who God is and his love towards us than what it is that we're facing. So that was Gehazi's experience. And I want you to remember Gehazi because believe it or not, he's actually in 2 Kings 7 as well. But when we get, to, when we get through 2 Kings 6, you can see that there is a, a huge sort of a siege that happens. Ben-Hadad lays a siege to Samaria and things get really hard in Samaria. Uh, the Bible says that, that they ate donkey's heads, that they ate dove's dung, and that they actually, women even boiled their own children to eat. It's a really graphic, tough portion of scripture. But that was, that's the context that we're sort of moving into 2 Kings 7. Um, in, and the Bible says that Jehoram got really angry. He got really angry at God, first of all, and he got really angry at Elisha. Isn't it amazing when we go our own way and do our own thing that we still manage to point the finger at God? Isn't it amazing how we manage to do that? The Bible says that um, when a fool's uh, way brings him into trouble or difficulty, his heart rages against the Lord. And Jehoram's heart raged against the Lord, even though he turned away from true worship. And so he comes for Elisha's head. Isn't it funny? I certainly hope in the day of disaster, God forbid you're going your own way and, and, and there's disaster that may come into your life. I hope you don't come for any of your pastors. I hope you don't. I hope you don't. But this is exactly what Jehoram was doing. And so Elisha, the Bible says, just as we pick up in the text, is sitting, sort of, you know, let me just use some, um, some, some language for the 21st century. He was chilling with his homies, yeah? He was chilling with his men, with his mandem, okay, uh, in his house. And the king dispatches a man to come, and there's a challenge that happens. And in verse 7, uh, in chapter 7, verse 1, Elisha says to Jehoram's men, okay, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time a seer of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. You have to understand that the gates of Samaria, where, where two things happened, commerce 
and justice. So you went to buy from the gate, at the gate, okay? But justice, you went for justice. You spoke to the leaders and the king and the officials at the gate as well, okay? So there is a huge economic crisis. And yet Elisha says, within 24 hours, God is going to bring a deliverance. Folks, how many of you know God does not need? God, God, God can do it. God is able. 24 hours is nothing to God. How many of you folks know that tonight? God doesn't need, God doesn't need time in the way we need time. We look at economic situations and the crises we're in, maybe our own financial difficulties, and we think God needs time to fix it. He doesn't. He's able. He can fix it anytime he wants to. And so Elisha brings this amazing word, there's going to be deliverance. And now listen to this, the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, if the Lord himself should be or should make the windows in heaven open, should this thing be? Wow. Folks, unbelief is a real thing. Unbelief is amazing, isn't it? So Elisha comes and speaks this word of deliverance. And this official has nothing but unbelief in his heart toward the word of God. There is a resistance, a pushing back against the grace of God, the goodness of God that's being spoken out. God's going to deliver you? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Maybe this person or that person, but not me. And that's what happens here. And, and notice that this is the person who the king leans on. So folks, it's probably safe to say that if that was his attitude, it was the king's attitude. And if it was the king's attitude, it was probably the attitude of the people as well. Because when we read the scriptures, if a king is one way, that king is always a representative of the people who were under him. So the nation was in unbelief. The nation was in resistance to God's word. Listen to what Oswald Chambers says about unbelief. He says that the great paralysis of our hearts is unbelief. Wow. Augustine said it's no advantage to be near the, the light if our eyes are closed. Hudson Taylor said, while unbelief sees the difficulties, faith sees God between itself and them. Okay? So folks, I want to say this. Two things about unbelief. One, unbelief is character assassination. It's character assassination. It is the denial of God's character in spite of all he has done to make his character known. Isn't that something, folks? He's done something to make his character known to us. Some of us need to know again. Some of us need to be reminded. We don't gauge the character of God in the context of our situation. What's happening around us, we gauge the character of God in the context of our sin. Okay? Let me say it to you. How do I know that God is good? Not because things around me are good. I know that God is good because I can contextualize his goodness in, my, in, in, in the backdrop of my sin. Look what he did for me. Look how he paid for my sin. There was a cross, folks. That's what I'm trying to say. Because there was a cross, he's good. Because there was a cross. And there was a cross. Let me tell you, there was a cross. God 
became flesh, Jesus, who had everything, who was the representation of God, came down and became a man, became flesh, took on flesh, and died for sinners, died for me and died for you. Amazing. It doesn't matter what's happening in life. There was a cross, and that cross tells me who God is. It tells me he has made his character known to us. In spite our our situations do not speak for God. Can I get an amen? Our situations, our, sin, our problems don't speak for God. He's good. So unbelief is character assassination, but unbelief is also spiritual paralysis. It's spiritual paralysis. And I want to ask you a question, folks. What lie have you given absolute belief to that's produced unbelief toward God. You see, before we step into unbelief, we have to sort of step into absolute belief about something else. It's never going to happen. Look at what the official said. Even if God could open the windows of heaven, so God can't be able He limited God's power, he limited his methods, he limited his goodness, and that was the attitude. Folks, we can struggle, Jude says we we should be merciful with those who doubt, but unbelief is our active disagreement with God's words. It's our assassination of his character. And listen, I'm not railing against you if you're in unbelief. God knows I have enough of it in my own life. Amen? Look. There's a context for their unbelief. They had been in something so long. They had been in a difficult, dark, hard place for so long. They had drifted away from hope completely. And they had arrived at spiritual paralysis and spiritual blindness. They had decided God was something that he wasn't. David Wilkerson said this, Today some Christians are content merely to exist until they die. They don't want to risk anything to believe God, to grow mature. They refuse to believe his word and have hardened in their unbelief. And now they're just living to die. I want to tell you, I have been there. I want to tell you I've been there. I might be standing here opening up the scriptures to you, but I want to tell you I have been there. I have, and if you are there, I want to encourage you from the scriptures now because there are four lepers about to enter into the story who go on a journey that I believe the Lord would bring us all on because he will not leave you in unbelief. He will not leave you there. That is not who he is. He's about to show not just, not just the king and his official, but all of Samaria who he is. He's about to show them exactly who he is. Look at verses 3 and 4 here. There were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gates, and they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? What a question. The pandemic has done that to us, hasn't it? We've been sitting waiting to die for 18 months. We've been sitting living in what-if land. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if I get this variant or that variant? What if this comes to me or, 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 or all this sort of thing? We've been living, waiting. Many of us have been living in that place and we've been in it so long. 
so long, perhaps if we're honest, we can say, yes, I have maybe stopped believing things about God that I know are true in his word, that he is going to bring me out of it into green pastures, that he is going to lead me beside still waters, that he will restore unto my soul the things that the difficulties in my life have taken away. It's amazing. But these four men... (laughs) Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we will die also. So now let us come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. It's fun. Isn't it funny? We shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away at twilight and abandoned their tents and their horses and fled for their lives. And when the lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went in to a tent and ate and drank. And they carried off the silver and gold and clothing and they went and hid them. And then they they went back and entered into another tent and carried off from it. And they went and they hid them. Can we just pause for a second and, and think about this? Can we just pause for a second and enjoy this picture? Four lepers absolute outcasts. You have, to, you have to understand something about leprosy at the time. Lepers at the time could not enter beyond the gates according to the law. And if anybody walked past them, they had to stand up, put their hand on their mouth and scream out three times unclean. They had to do all that sort of thing. They would have been the last to get bread. They would have been the last to get anything. And so they're surrounded by death. They are surrounded by death. And for some reason... So we're going to look at it here. They decide to stand up and take a step of faith and say, I'm not going to stay here and let death come to me. I'm not going to stay here and allow this happen. And I want to tell you something. Maybe you don't know this. Um, It's a Jewish thought that maybe these lepers were Gehazi and his three sons. Maybe it was Gehazi and his three sons. So I want you to imagine this. We know in 2 Kings 5 that Gehazi's greed, he went after Naaman and tried to get the clothing from Naaman. It had caused him to actually contract leprosy as, as a punishment. And so now Gehazi is sitting with his sons outside the gates. I want you to imagine this. So not only, so his greed, maybe he's living, he's been living for himself and now he's sitting in leanness. And that can be the problem with unbelief. We can get so about ourselves. We can get so about me and mine. We can get so about what works for me and what, what's good for me. We can get tied into that. And a leanness can come into our lives. But this is what I want you to know, right? Grace is already working in this situation. Grace is already working because the leanness in Gehazi's life, the leanness in the life of those lepers was actually a call from God to get them out of their situation. Sometimes God allows crisis into our lives because he needs us to understand that we can't stay where we are anymore. He lets it in. I'm going to let it in. 
I'm going to let these things touch you, not because I've, I've forgotten you or I've cast you off, but I want to remind you, I want to show you, I want to stir you, I want, you to, I want to bring you out of where you're at, your spiritual slump, the unbelief you might be in, into a place of decision, realization that I am surrounded by death. Nothing is working. Nothing is good about me. Nothing. I've got no strength on my own. I've got no ability on my own. I deserve to be here. I deserve this leanness. I deserve to be stuck. And not just that, my failures are touching my family's life as well. And even in that, grace is already working because God was using it to stir these men to a decision. I want you to take a step of faith. I want you to take a step. You see, we have to look at it that way. Otherwise, we're going to think that these men just got some sort of blast of faith and decided to get up. And how great are they? Not at all. God was orchestrating events. And there might be leanness in your life. There might be famines that you're dealing with. There might, you might be feeling the pinch. After 18 months, who isn't? I feel like I've been saying the pandemic's been going on for 18 months, for 18 months. It's probably much further, longer than that now. But we've been in it so long, starved of things for so long. Maybe you're in that slump. I want you to know God is, push, God is allowing it so that you can step into a decision you never would have made in peacetime. You wouldn't have made it. You wouldn't have made it. Why are we sitting here until we die? I'm not going to let death come to me. I'm not doing it. It's a moment of realization. You can't stay here any longer. It's time to move towards life and away from dead things. Sometimes famine brings perspective. Maybe there are dead things in your life, dead relationships, dead situations. It's time to get up. And unless you felt it and sensed it and experienced it like this, you never would have said, if I stay, I'm going to die. Think about Esther. Think about Esther. There's some similarities. Esther, she hears about Haman's plot to kill the Jews. She knows. And what does Mordecai say to Esther? If you stay, God may raise deliverance up at another time for his people. But perhaps it's for such a time as this that you were brought to the kingdom. You might be in leanness. You might be experiencing all of those things, but you don't know what's waiting on the other side of a step of faith at this time. Maybe it's for such a time as this that you've been brought through what you've been brought through and there's a moment where when you step forward, things can change. God is using it, using the leanness to bring you back to the gospel. He's using it to bring you back to grace. What you're going through, what you're experiencing, what you're dealing with, it's showing you and exposing you, exposing the, showing that death is really all that can come from you or come from, from around you or, or, or whatever, if you know what I mean. And God is calling us to the gospel. Because if unbelief is the assassination of God's character in the face of circumstance, then the gospel is the confirmation of his character in the face of sin. And so maybe it's time to say, I'm not going to waste another day 
another moment of my life at the gate, on the gate, at the borders, I'm going to take a step. I want us to think about this as well. Taking a step in faith, okay? Taking a step out of self, it might feel like moving into enemy territory. It might feel that way. Taking steps of faith are difficult. Stepping out of yourself, looking beyond yourself, saying even though it's death all around me, maybe I can be of service again. Maybe I can serve and move forward and, 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 and say yes again. Maybe we've been retreating back from church, repeating, retreating back from the things God's called us to. And now at, at this time, maybe God's calling us back to take a step of faith. And faith might feel almost, well, think of it this way, to take a step out in faith might feel like a step into enemy territory, but stagnation is where death is. Staying still in that place, that's where death actually is. Faith might feel like an enemy, like a risk, but it is the place of blessing. It is. Risk is better, is, is, risk is betting on man, faith is betting on God. When you take a step forward, you're, you're, not, you're not taking a step forward in your own strength. When you decide, do you know what? I'm not going to stay in this place and let death come to me in mine. I'm actually going to say yes to God and begin to move toward where I believe hope is, outside of myself, in him. You're not betting on yourself. Faith is not risk. Faith is always betting on God. You're betting on God, and I want to show you. I want to show you that it's not about where you go or the steps you take, but who goes with you. I want to show you that now from the text. I want to show you that you can open your mouth again, that you, can, you, you, you don't have to allow another opportunity to serve, to trust, to share, pass by you again, that you don't have to sit and let spiritual death come to you and yours that you can lead again, that you can trust again. Sometimes we need to understand that our greatest obstacle is ourselves. And do you know what? Maybe we do need to be like Esther and say, do you know what, Lord? I've got nothing else to lose. If I die, I die. I'm stepping out and I'm trusting you. I'd rather die on my feet in faith than in unbelief around what is familiar. I'd rather step out, Lord. I'd rather live for you because there's no life in, in what I'm in. There's no life in what I'm in. And so I'm getting up. I'm finally at that place. And what I love is that that person is dead already. If that's you, you're in the best possible place you can be because God has brought, God is bringing you out of unbelief. He's bringing you out of yourself and he's bringing you into the gospel. And, and here's the good stuff, right? I've been ramping up. Here's the good stuff. Are you ready? <laughs> they walk into the camp of the Assyrians. They take a step of faith. Is there a better picture of the gospel? Is there? Is there? Men dead in their trespasses and sins. Lepers. The most unworthy. The most unworthy. And they walk into a camp and they find out what you and I will find out when we step out in faith. He's gone before us. He went before, he went before me. I took a step 
I, I took a step. I have no power, no strength, no ability. I'm undeserving. There is no reason why I should survive, but I'm stepping out anyway. And when you step out, you're surprised by grace again and again and again. Listen to me. You may feel what you may not be able to see beyond your situation, but we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. You don't have to see before you step. Listen to me. If you don't see it before you see it, you'll never see it. If you don't see it, if you don't recognize that this is bigger than what I'm going through, this is about him, the one who goes before me, and I can step out of myself, I can walk in faith, and I will always be surprised by the grace of God. He's already in my problem. He's already there. He's already working through a solution in my life. It's amazing. God brought these men to a table. And I want to show you something cool about this table here. See, God's brought us back. These men, there's such a picture of the gospel. And God wants to bring us back into the truth of the gospel. We're guilty. We're lepers. We're outcasts. We're the undeserving, yet we're called to sit at a table. We're called to a table, a call to a victory we never won from a battle we never fought. That's the picture, folks. That's the gospel. God's solution to your unbelief is the gospel. It's you seeing who he is and what he's done for you. That's your solution. It's not stirring yourself up. It's not finding something in yourself or in your surroundings because you're surrounded by death and you're a leper. They were all lepers in Samaria, from the king to the lepers at the gate. But only some of those lepers understood who they were. And it's crisis that brings that sort of revelation. I'm a leper. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to give. But God is using my leanness to call me out of my grave. And so I'm stepping forwards. And now I can be surprised by grace because he's already gone before me. He's already done it. Psalm 23 says this. David says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And that's exactly the table these men were eating at. A table and what I love is when you look at that, that word, when you look at those phrases in, in the original language, that presence of, in the presence of, one of the meanings is over or instead of. So in other words, God gave those four lepers the table that belonged to the enemy. So what the enemy thought would be spoils, God gave to those lepers. What the enemy thought he would feast on, God by his grace gave back to those lepers. I want you to think about this right now. You know, Deuteronomy says this, Deuteronomy 31.8 says this about God. It says, excuse me. God says this, it is I the Lord who goes before you and behind you. I will be with you I'll not leave you and forsake you. You're not to fear or be dismayed. So I want you to get this picture. We're at a table that belonged to enemies and he's given them to those four lepers. 
You see, there was a victory. There was a vi- we have to understand this. There was a victory won in the past that has secured your future. That's what it means, Deuteronomy 1.8. I go before you and behind you. There's a victory I've won in the past and it secures your future now. I went, I fought them. You didn't even know. You were sitting at the gate in your... Stricken with, stricken with leprosy, surrounded by death, and I was in the camp of the enemy preparing a table for you. I was in the camp of the enemy taking what the enemy thought would be yours and putting it on a table. What the, what the enemy thought he would feast on, you are going to feast on. The enemy thought he would take your family. The enemy thought he would take your health. The enemy thought he would take your mental, your, your mental health, your financial health, your future. And while you were sitting in your leprosy and in your unbelief, I was out in an enemy camp winning what you could never win and laying a table for you. And then I called you and my call might feel like, it might feel painful, but it's the only thing that will motivate you. The only thing that's going to get you to get up is pain. It's the truth. I wish it wasn't. I wish it wasn't. But it's the truth. Circum- difficult circumstances push us toward faith. And so that call out of the grave to a table we never laid for ourselves. Victory won in the past that secured our future. A table of belonging, inheritance, victory. A table over instead of my enemies. It's funny how Haman's gallows, he ended up hanging on them. Haman built gallows for Mordecai and ended up hanging on them himself. God frustrated the plans of the enemy, reversed it, reversed it. What the enemy he thought, what, what he, what the enemy thought would take you out was the very thing he stumbled on himself. And that's who God is. That's who God is. You don't have to see it. We serve a God who fights for you in the unseen. And that's the surprise of grace, folks. And it goes on. Verse 9. They've tried on all their outfits and their gold and all that sort of thing. And they said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we are silent and we wait until morning light, the punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. Go and tell the king's household. Let's go tell the king. Say it with me. Open hand, open mouth. Amen? When he opens his hand, you open your mouth. You're not called to fight. You're called to tell. You're called to bear witness. You see, when you get back, when you, when you experience again the grace of the gospel, see, folks, what we need, we need to be refreshed in grace. That's what we need. We need to be brought back into what grace is. I'm a leper, I'm destitute, and I'm surrounded by death. And he's calling me. And as I step toward him, I'm surprised to see that he's one, he's already made a way, he's already broken through, and he's laid a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He's done it all. 
I'd, he's done it all. He's calling me to sit in robes of righteousness that I could never earn, right? The men, men were wearing them, the, wearing the Gucci and the, uh, you know, <laughs> that they had gotten the best of the best of the best. They were eating food they never prepared. They were sitting at a table they never should have been at ever. And all, all, and they come to the realization we will come to. I got to tell somebody about the goodness of Jesus. You see, that's the spirit of evangelism. David said in Psalm 51, restore unto me the joy of, of thy salvation. And then he goes on to say, then I'll instruct sinners in your ways. So the, the spirit of evangelism, the passion that allows us talk about Jesus is the grace we experience from Jesus. It's about him and what he's done. We are just beggars telling other beggars where to get the bread at. That's all we are. And so these men decide this grace is too good not to share. And so, folks, don't stash the blessings. Folks, here they, they go, they hide the, 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 the robes, the, the garments, the blessings and all of that. I actually don't think God, I think sometimes we can narrow God, our, our view of him, and we don't think he can bless materially. We sort of want to hide any sort of blessing or material blessing or any, anything like that. I actually don't think God has an issue with that. I don't. I think it's the heart that we have to receive it, and we, we can't make an idol of anything he gives us. But actually, the heart God has behind what he gives is that we would point other people to him as the gift giver. So he's the source. So we need to go and tell people where to get the grace, where to get these gifts that we don't deserve. Folks, tell them who's been good to you. When he brings you back to grace and refreshes your hearts, tell others how good he's been to you. And you know, it's funny, they say if we don't, some trouble might come upon us. And I think that that's interesting. Maybe they were saying, you know, if we don't, we may end up back where we started, about ourselves, only thinking about ourselves, only concerned with ourselves, only about our own lives and our own lot. Remind your brothers and sisters of the grace that's ours in him. We don't need to be stingy because there's more than enough to go around and I believe that he'll be good to me again. That's who he is. And folks, I want to just look here. I'm going to skip down a bit to verse 15. So they went after them as far as the Jordan and behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king, I love it. Folks, that's faith. That's what faith does. Even a little bit of faith in your life is enough to break cycles of famine in the lives of people around you. Cycles, broken thinking, wrong views of God. When you start to experience grace, it's infectious. When you start to experience the gospel, it sets other people free. Other people start to walk in that same slipstream flow of favor and grace that God has toward all his children. It's amazing. 
Let's keep going. 15. So they went and returned, told the king. And so then, verse 16, then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a seer of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two seers of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. And the people trampled him in the gate so that he died as the man of God had said when the king came down to him. And you think about this. The faith of those four men now had fed thousands. Folks, there's no lack in Jesus. There's no lack in Jesus. I want to show you one more thing here. Because the table he furnished, that they're all eaten off, goes beyond personal blessings and fulfillments. He didn't just set the table. He's on the table. He's on the table. Christ is the reward. He's the victor and the spoils. And what I love here is that they trampled on unbelief as they ran after the grace of Jesus. They trampled over that unbelieving voice as they ran after the grace that they had experienced. I believe grace will unlock every passion you may feel like you're missing right now for God, for his kingdom, for service, to love him with your whole heart. You have to know that his whole heart is towards you. You have to know that. You have to know that this is not about your abilities or your efforts. You are the lepers in the story. I am a leper. I've got nothing to give God. I've got nothing, no gifting, no talent, and I was surrounded by death until he called my name, until he called me forth, until he called me out to a table. And now he's called me and you to proclaim his excellencies, the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is who he is and who we have become, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people after his own name, that's who you are. You've been given a name that you can never earn. You, you carry a name that gives you all the value you'll ever need in life. All the approval, all the acceptance, all the substance to go forward into purpose and into a future that's far beyond anything you could achieve on your own. And it all comes before, it all comes from him. They chased after grace and the unbelief that held them back they trampled on it. When I think about a dog, you ever have a dog that it's on a chain? You know, that dog sees something it doesn't like, maybe it runs after the, you know, and the chain sort of catches it and whatever. But if a dog sees something, right, that it really, really wants, it'll run and it'll break the chain. It'll break the chain, right? And so, the things that hold us, the unbelief we might be in, when we see him as he is and experience what he died to give us, there is a desire for him that can break the chain of unbelief in your life. It can. Just just wait. If you are in something that feels like death, there is an experience of grace that is coming for you. I believe that. I believe that he's calling us back to grace. He's calling us back to his gospel. He's calling us back to that truth. 
I am a leper at a table that I never set, enjoying robes purchased for me at Calvary. Righteous robes, they're not mine, I don't deserve them. He's not called me to fight my battles, he's called me to tell about the battle he won for me. He goes before me and he goes behind me. He won something that's in the past that secured my future. The main character of that passage is God. And we don't see him in the same way that the main character in the book of Esther is God. And we don't see him. But we see his power. We see the effects of the victory that he has on our lives. And so in your life, the main character is God. You may not see him, but the effect of his victory is just on the other side of a step of faith. Amen? Can I pray with you tonight, church, and then we hand it back to Pastor Stephen. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for, for that truth, Lord. I, I just pray that as we bring the service to a close tonight, Lord Jesus, that your people see you again, Lord. You are the chain-breaking God. You are the table-setting God. You are the, the God who goes before us. You're the God who has gone behind us. You are the God who calls us in our brokenness when we're surrounded by death, calls us, Lord, to partake, Lord, of a life of faith. So I just pray for your people that we would all, Lord, be stirred again out of unbelief, Lord, to be surprised by grace, Lord. We all at times can experience, Lord, that unbelief that says, Lord, maybe, maybe this is just it for me. Maybe this is as far as it goes. Maybe this is all I'm ever going to experience of you. And maybe death has to come to me. But Lord, help us recognize again that that is not our portion. And just beyond the line of sight, are the blessings of God and a table furnished for us in the presence of our enemies. So Lord, thank you tonight. I just pray that people would be blessed uh, and um, touched by your word. Bless us, Lord. Uh, walk with us, stir us, fill us, speak to us again in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for tuning in with us today. I hope you were blessed. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website, www.corkchurch.com. Again, thanks for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.